Welcome to the Risk and Repeat podcast, episode number 204. I'm Rob Wright, Security News Director at Tech Target, and I am here with security news writer Alex Kalafi. Alex, welcome. Thanks, Rob. How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Um, big news the last few weeks, which has been good. It's It felt like we had a slow few weeks, and now we have a whole dang cybersecurity strategy. Yes, there there's been a lot a lot of stuff happening in the last few weeks. It's been kind of busy. We did not get a chance to record uh last week unfortunately. Um mm-hmm. but uh yeah, I should note we're recording this today uh Tuesday, March 7th. Uh, it's a mm-hmm. sunny morning here in the Boston area. And yeah, as you noted, nice. we're, we're yeah, yeah. The weather's not bad. No complaints. Uh, mm-hmm. We we are going to be discussing the new national cybersecurity strategy as introduced last week, which you wrote about, Alex, for for Tech Target Security. Um, I did. What uh, can you tell us about this sprawling, wide ranging new cybersecurity strategy? Maybe the longest daily story. I've uh, written since joining Tech Target. I think between what I wrote and your editions, I think we're at like over a thousand words on uh, this. I think so. I think Uh, it could have been so much longer too. Yeah, there was a lot packed in there. Um, Yeah, we touched on like four of the points. But anyways, um, beginning of this month, the White House released the national cybersecurity strategy, which we've known has been coming for a while. And it's sort of sharing the Biden administration's vision for uh, sort of securing the U S public sector uh, philosophically just across the board, Um, multiple pillars of security that touch across everything from cyber crime, cyber insurance, um, just anything involving the digital ecosystem and mm-hmm. what the U.S.'s sort of philosophy, plans, objectives are for for tackling it. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few things that really stood out to us. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some ransomware stuff we're going to get into. Um, but where I want to start and where you want to start is something involving software liability which Mm -hmm. is the idea that although we want to promote a free market and give people room to experiment um which should in theory make things better uh in the long run not experiment but let's say right it it takes it, it, it takes work to get uh, microsoft office right like it takes a lot of work um But it sort of raises the question and tries to give a few answers about when software is vulnerable um, and creates problems, who is responsible? Mm. And and one of the points that's made in this document and in like one of the, uh, the, not a press conference, but sort of a a talk that was given shortly after about this was that the way things work now when there are exploits and enormous vulnerabilities, the people who suffer aren't the companies as much as it is the, the people at the bottom of the stream 
the users, the organizations who just happen to to buy a product like Microsoft Exchange, which mm-hmm. they were sold and then uh, had potentially devastating consequences. And I'm not saying that vendors don't ever face consequences, but I think what this is sort of saying is that the liability is skewed too heavily toward the uh, the end user and not enough uh, responsibility is given to the software vendors themselves. And they did, they did specify software. So in order to do this, the White House is going to work with Congress uh, and private sector companies, entities to develop legislation establishing liabilities for software products and services, as well as a safe harbor framework to shield companies from liability that follow best practices, such as the NIST Secure Software Development Framework, which is basically saying that we understand that, like, we don't want people to be scared to innovate. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're we're going to work on developing a framework so that uh, you don't have to be scared of uh, of facing huge consequences so long as there's some evidence and framework that you're acting in the best faith possible, which I think is such an interesting question um, because the U.S. government has been working with private sector entities on this stuff, and and I'm guessing that there's a range of of opinions about uh, this liability thing. Sort of oh, yeah. where does it stop? Where does it start? And one of the things I'm excited about is um, going to RSA in San Francisco in a few weeks, and I think the question I'm going to ask every single person I talk to there for for a story uh, is like. What do you think of this? <laughs> yeah, it, because th- I mean, this is a topic that's been around for a while now, and there's there there have been people just to give you Alex and the listeners some background. Mm. The the concept of like of within the security industry within the infosec community, the the concept of shifting software liability has been around has been advocated now for a few years. I mean, I can remember years ago, 2015, 2016, I think my first couple of times at RSA, uh, at Tech Target, at least, there were sessions um, or, or speakers. Maybe it, was, maybe it wasn't RSA, maybe it was another event. I'm pretty sure it was RSA conference though, where folks were talking about, um, do we need to hold software developers, and not just software, I mean, software is in everything. So this goes to hardware makers, this goes to cloud service providers, this goes everyone, because everything runs on software. Mm-hmm. Um, what responsibility do they have to produce secure code that's that's not riddled with bugs, that isn't, you know, intensely vulnerable to um, exploitation from threat actors? And how do you, if they do have a responsibility, which a lot of InfoSec folks believe they do, well, how do you enforce that? And guys like, you know, really well-known folks in the InfoSec community, Bruce Schneier, Jeremiah Grossman, a lot of these guys have been saying, you know, we're, we're approaching a point where this isn't just going to be a question for debate, but it's going to be something that's going to, that the government is going to have to take a hard look at and start developing legislation regulations around this. I mean, Bruce Schneier has talked about how, 
you know, specifically with IoT devices, like what are we waiting for? Is is someone going to have to die? And are we? And, and is that going to thrust us into a new world where like there's there's going to be like severe penalties for for bad software development? Um, so the, the the concept's been around for a while, and I I I was like you, I was fascinated that this was included in the national cybersecurity strategy when I fully expected it was going to be sort of um, a lot of stuff about, you know, like, like you had mentioned at the top of the discussion, rant, you know, fighting back against ransomware and a lot of other stuff that is included in it as well. Um, I, I guess the question is, do we think it's feasible that they can come to some type of consensus around what it's going to look like to shift that liability because it, like as you noted in the in the in the language of the of the strategy itself i think it's strategic obje- objective 3.3 shift liability f- for insecure software products and services well what's insecure you know how do how do we judge that how do right. we is, is it is it relative like uh like exactly. if um if a smaller company, like one of the ones that sends us pitches, but we don't like read this or we don't respond to, yeah. uh, gets a thousand bugs in a year or something, it's devastating. And like, maybe they should be held liable. But if Microsoft gets a thousand bugs, do they, are they necessarily, uh, should they help be held liable? Is it relative? It's there, there's so many weird questions that you have to ask and that's all laid against like the very, um, not necessarily to get strictly political, but like the very libertarian vibe that exists in a lot of the digital ecosystem. Oh yeah. And it, it, it creates a very interesting dynamic that I think will be interesting to see in the coming months. I, um, on that point, not to diverge too much, but I've definitely noticed a lot of, I mean, there's, like I said, there's a lot of folks out there in the InfoSec community that think that this is the right move and mm-hmm. that have been calling for this type of shift in liability um, for a while. And then there are other people who are saying, you know, and, and it, 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 there's a Venn diagram between the people who are um, really intensely skeptical of this and even pushing back against it and the people that also think um, – you know, the tracking of, of cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin and stuff like that and, and cracking down on, on that ecosystem is, um, is, is just sort of the jackboot of the oppressive government, you know, trying to, trying to kill new markets and, and so on and so forth. And, I, you know, I'm in no position to make an argument uh, on that at this point. I don't know, but there's definitely, like you said, there's, there's a real libertarian streak within the infosec community that is um, maybe nonplussed about this move, um, which is, you know, there's no legislation yet. We don't know what it's going to encompass. But like I said, just reading this stuff, you know, poor software, I'm reading from, from the actual strategy now, quote, poor software security greatly increases systemic risk across the digital ecosystem and leave American citizens bearing the ultimate cost. Well, well, what, how do we define poor software security? You know, we must begin to shift liability onto those entities that fail to take reasonable precautions to secure their software 
while recognizing that even the most advanced software security programs cannot prevent all vulnerabilities. Okay, again, what's reasonable? Who's defining it? Because um, right now, the way things work in this industry is it, it's private companies basically gauging other private companies. Mm-hmm. You know, finding vulnerabilities and you know, sometimes there's a disagreement about what CVSS score gets slapped on what and whether, a, you know, a vulnerability is a true vulnerability and gets a CVE or it doesn't get a CVE. Is it a cloud service? Is it the, I mean, we've written about this stuff ad nauseum, right? But mm-hmm. the, like as much as the NIST and MITRE and places like that are involved, like, this isn't government run. This is, this is within the industry. This is, like I said, private companies working with other private companies. Um, so I don't know if the legislation is going to be a departure from that and include a new agency or, or, or grant authority to an existing agency for them to come in and make judgment calls. I can understand how that might be scary for a lot of folks, a lot of software developers, technology companies. I, I, I get it because I mean, I too have a lot of questions about how this is going to be applied and can it be applied fairly and evenly and, you know, how are we going to measure this? Like, I mean, do, like you mentioned Microsoft, Alex, are we going to judge this based on the raw number of of vulnerabilities that are discovered and disclosed in a given year or month? I'm sure CVEs will, like the, the, the CVSSs will become part of it. Like how, how severe do they score? Uh, what's the remediation look like? I'm I'm sure all that stuff is going to be a factor, but even if you do find a way to quantify it, it becomes very confusing. I I I agree. Yeah, it it's it makes me wonder. I mean, there 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 are vulnerabilities, and then there are bad vulnerabilities, and then there's just like straight up screw ups. I mean, I mentioned IoT and the concerns that Bruce Schneier has long had about these, you know, quote unquote, dumb devices that can be used for bad acts, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, just your run of the mill DVRs or wireless routers or whatever being used for, for hugely powerful DDoS attacks or whatever, you know, when, when there are products that are being released that have hard coded credentials Mm -hmm. and, and default passwords. And that's something that's been a concern for years. And there are a lot of companies out there that are still doing it. So is if, if let's say a product like that, an IoT product, doesn't have any sort of catastrophic critical vulnerabilities, but they keep pushing out devices that have that, that just glaring weakness, does that take precedence over, say, a company? Like, let's use Oracle. I mean, how many... Oracle comes out, you know, with, with 300 plus whatever, um, you know, record setting number of vulnerabilities, it seems like every so often, uh, each month. So, I mean, does that, I don't know, does, does like, what, what's the bigger risk and how do you, how do you measure that? And what's not even what's the bigger risk, but what's the, what's the worst offense? Do we need, do we have a panel of judges? 
of like software development experts and security experts who are going to score this and rate this uh, like a, like, like and make a judgment on what type of, you know, transgression it is. And when we have a hard enough time assigning a CVSS score to, to some of these things. So I don't know how this would look like in practice. I don't know. I'm, I, I, I'm, I go ahead. I'm very curious. So I mentioned that like going to an event in a few weeks, or I'm going to have the opportunity to ask a few people face to face about this. And it's gotten me thinking like how the vendor side messaging is going yes. to be about what they say. Like, <clears throat> cause here, here's I'm, I'm imagining sitting down in one of those like hotel, uh, rooms that have been converted into an interview space. <laughs> I'm sitting down. It's me, one to two researchers and a PR person. Mm-hmm. And I say, this Biden thing came out and you're a software company and you're on this, uh, CISA consortium group. You were in this thing. Cause every major vendor is, is a partner of the U S government to some extent. Now I'm pretty sure. Um, so, so to basically say, so what do you think of this liability thing? And I'm very curious, are you going to get like, uh, I'm very much in favor of it full throated and no PR person jumping in. Are we going to get the PR person jumping in and saying, we're not talking about that right now. Uh, are we going to get the PR person to say, we're not talking about that here, but we can maybe set something up down the line. But like, I'm wondering like, which what's the tone. And, and, and I'm guessing if you're like a vulnerability focused vendor, you're probably going to be in support of it. But what does Microsoft say? What does Google say? What does uh, company XYZ say? That's, you know, maybe, maybe a lot larger. And cause Cause no one's going to say, I think it's a bad idea. No vendor I talk to is going to be like that. Cause that makes you look really bad. If you're just like, no, I don't think there should be any, any liability stuff. I think the government's wrong about this. There's no way. So I'm just wondering, you know, do they just dodge the question indefinitely? Um, do we get people in approval or do we get a mix of them or just PR jumping in? Like it's, I'm just, I'm so curious what the vendor side messaging is going to look like on it. Yeah. Well, two things. Number one, I, I have a hard time and there's been reports about this, that there, there have been uh, long discussions and, and um, uh, a lot of uh, meetings and, and talks with various private sector entities out there uh, to sort of develop and, and refine some of the things in this strat and then cybersecurity strategy. And I mean, you got to believe that the software liability component was a, was a big one that involved a lot of input and feedback from private sector partners. Um, and number two, I, I think you're right. I don't think anybody would like any security vendor would, or, or any technology vendor would, would major one at least would come out and say, this is abjectly an insane idea and it won't work and we won't, won't support it. It's bad for the industry, but I think there's wiggle room there. I think there's room for a company to say, you know, we agree with 
uh, the Biden administration and government officials who want to shift liability uh, a little bit off of, you know, the consumers, but we have concerns about X, Y, or Z. Well, I think that's that's reasonable and probably, you know, uh, maybe to be expected from from a few companies out there. Uh, but to your point, I, I I think you're right. It, it is going to be interesting to see what the what the vibe is at an event like RSA, where the software liability question has come up time and time again, and how people are going to be discussing it. Uh, and, 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 and RSA specifically, because it's yes. not like Black Hat or um, what's the De- uh, DEFCON. DEFCON, where like they're doing other things. It's yeah. like a broad security con. Uh, a little more sort- informal, a little more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's, it's easier to obfuscate the tone. But yes. RSA is a place where people sell things. Yes. Not like like we barely go on the show floor when we go there because it's just people trying to give you swag. Um and and like trying to sell whatever uh software product to you. But uh it's it's a lot more explicitly relevant. So I, I think that'll be the show where it's very and it's gonna be very interesting to to get a temperature on on this specific aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and before we turn to the other parts of the, the strategy to summarize a few of the other important parts, um, it should you know, like we said, we don't know what this legislation is going to look like, what it's going to focus on, what the details are going to be. There's This is, seems like it's in the very early stages, but I, I think it's worth noting that in the talk that you mentioned, um, there was a discussion, uh, I think it was the Center for Strategic and International Studies that held the event, mm-hmm. um, a sort of a, a Q&A with a couple of officials, uh, Kemba Walden, acting national cyber director, and I believe it was Ann Neuberger, uh, yep. deputy assistant to the president and deputy national security advisor for, is it Cy- Cyber and Emerging Tech? It's a long mm-hmm. title. And they were they were discussing this. I mean, this is obviously a big topic of discussion for the new strategy. Um, and I believe it was Neuberger who said, you know, when asked like, "What is this going to look like? How is this going to take shape?" She sort of invoked the the New York uh, City restaurant ratings, the the letter grades that you see on the window of every restaurant based on the city's food, you know, the, the city government's food inspections. Basically, are you running a sanitary environment in your restaurant? Uh, it doesn't say anything about like the quality of the food. It's just like, <laughs> is it sanitary? Is, is it, is it, are you, you know, is it dirty and disgusting? And uh, I think the letter grades are A, B, C, and D, if I remember correctly, regardless. You know, she suggested maybe something like that could be applied to technology. Um, which would be especially helpful for consumers if I think she said, like, you know, if you're trying to buy a wireless router and, you know, you see one that's an A and one that's a D, well, then you know which one to get. You know, mm-hmm. you know which one's not going to have hard coded credentials or which, what's not going to be riddled with bugs or what's going to be easily updated over the Internet um, as opposed to, you know, a quagmire of like 
configurations and settings that your average user is not going to be able to figure out. Um, so I thought that was interesting. We'll see if it's executed. Um, like I said, I, I am, I'm curious about how they're going to get a, a sort of a panel of experts to uh, determine what is and what isn't insecure and, and reckless and dangerous, but we'll see. So mm-hmm. stay tuned for uh, letter grades on all your tech products. You know, that'd be great. <laughs> a better Business Bureau or, yeah. or Department of Health type type stuff. Right. Um, I'll, I'll, so I quickly go over the non, the two non ransomware ones and then close on ransomware. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we had a couple other, which we talked about, uh, this one's interesting to you, uh, objective 2.4 prevent abuse of us based infrastructure mm. talks about how threat actors exploit us based cloud providers, domain registrars, hosting and email services and more for criminal activity. Um, so the hive bust that was in January, uh, it was, it was, it was tail end of January. I think, um, a big part of that sort of bust was that they seized servers and shut down the website and the servers were based in the United States. And the tone of this is less the hosting providers are at fault and more, there's this abuse going on. We want to help people identify and stop it um, and make it easier to report this abuse and uh, all of that, which I think is, is the right tone because you want, you want the private companies to work with you. So uh, removing any sense of blame and being like, let's do this together. Let's cut them out together. Yes. And that's, what's going to be best. Um, with although I think the tone of this whole thing kind of suggests that they would be willing to place blame if there was blame to be placed, probably, but, uh, yeah. But it's sort of lead with the 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 carrot, not the stick. Um, yeah. And you know, I, what was your what was your take on this one? I, I thought it was important because look, there's a lot of folks in the emphasis community outside of the United States and even within the United States who feel like there is way way, way too much abuse of, um, you know, cloud infrastructure, infrastructure as a service, uh, you know, run by the, the big U.S. companies, Google, Microsoft, Amazon. I mean, just, the list goes on and on, right? That it's too easy for these guys to sign up for, you know, free accounts or even paid accounts and abuse them and launch attacks from, you know, these, these cloud services, which are based in the US, U.S. server. So a lot of times you can see attacks. I mean, we, we see the heat maps all the time, the attack, you know, the pew pew maps um, and where the attacks are coming from. It's a lot of attacks coming from U.S. infrastructure. I mean, that's just a fact. And I think acknowledging that and saying that we need to do better is important. Like it sends an important mm-hmm. message to the rest of the, to the, to the world infosec community, so to speak, and not just, you know, U S practitioners and U S companies. Like we got to do a better job. We got to crack down on this. We need to police these systems better and make it harder for them to be abused. I think that's yeah. totally reasonable. And I'm glad that they did that. So for sure, for sure. Uh, objective 3.6 was dedicated to the white house's plans for a 
Federal Cyber Insurance Backstop. Now, this does not refer to cyber insurance as we know it, mm-hmm. which is to say uh, a company that you pay to sort of cover you in case you get hit by some sort of data breach or cyber attack, such as a ransomware attack. Cyber insurance here, as the government refers to it, is sort of a building a relief plan and sort of setting aside some sort of theoretical budget for um, financial relief in the case of a catastrophic cyber attack that could have some major impact on the U.S. economy. Mm. Um, the I guess the most relevant example we have to date, if I'm thinking about it, is the is the Colonial Pipeline attack. But... If something like the Colonial Pipeline attack could happen once, uh, who's to say that something like that or worse, uh, forbid, uh, could, could, could happen again, right? Um, sure. And and sort of structuring the response before the event occurs rather than sort of rushing to develop an aid package after the fact. That's sort of what the government's trying to do here. Um, and, and overall that's sort of providing certainty to markets and making the market more resilient, which could, I mean, even if it's not catastrophic, like if Microsoft gets hit with a giant breach, which they're, they're one of the biggest companies in the world, so it could be considered catastrophic, but let's say it's not quite the colonial pipeline and it's like a private sector equivalent. Yeah. Microsoft's, uh, response to that. Or um, even just getting hit by an attack could have devastating consequences on the economy, uh, or, or at least giant ones um, that could ripple just because of how big of a company Microsoft is. So I, I maybe they are just talking about Colonial Pipeline, but there are a lot of things, a lot of scenarios you could probably imagine that would be like, no, it, it totally makes sense to have an aid package like this. Yeah, I mean, I think it's maybe it's something like a colonial pipeline attack that's that's even more catastrophic but i think there this is probably spurred by like widespread campaigns against a number of entities like a wanna cry type series of attacks or not petio where you know maybe an insurance carrier has multiple organizations that have policies with them that get hit and they you know they they've got to they've got to call it in, you know, and you know my dad I I think I've mentioned this in previous pods. My dad worked in reinsurance. Reinsurance is basically covering the primary insurance providers to make sure that they, you know, when they find themselves in situations where they're running up against it, that that they're you know able to um, protect themselves, so to speak. Uh, I think mm-hmm. insurance is a dirty business, but whatever, what, you know, it's another story for another time. Um, but I, I think having like a backstop here is to make sure that like the, the, those insurance companies, when they're covering, when they're forced to pay out policies for multiple entities against a series of, of catastrophic attacks affecting multiple customers it, with huge costs that they can remain solvent like that they can that they're upright that they're not gonna and yeah is this a bailout is this essentially a bailout for yeah i I suppose it you you could term it that way but um i don't think it's unreasonable because that could something like this could happen i mean it has happened in the past 
mm-hmm. um, with WannaCry and not Petya. So you never know. Um, so uh, good for them for thinking ahead, I guess. For, for sure. Um, and then the, the last one is sort of objective uh, 2.5 which sort of lays out the government's response to ransomware, their evolving response to ransomware, which we've sort of had an inkling that this was sort of going to be their approach beforehand, but it's uh, it's notable in that they sort of put it down on paper. Yeah, uh, the, the, it's, it's sort of their, their effort to counter ransomware. Yeah. The U.S. will, according to the report, employ all elements of national power to, yes. uh, to take down ransomware, which includes... Utilizing international cooperation, isolating countries, providing safe havens to criminals, Mm -hmm. which is like, it sounds bold, but like, it's not going to be Germany or uh, Sweden or Japan. It's going to be countries. They're probably already halfway isolating, like, like Russia and, and, and Iran and North Korea to, to a certain um, extent, uh, Isolating countries, providing safe havens to criminals, investigating ransomware attacks and using authorities and law enforcement to disrupt threat actor operations, um, and then improving critical infrastructure's resilience to attacks. Uh, Lastly, addressing the abuse of virtual currency to launder ransomware payments. And the one I think is the most interesting isn't the crypto thing, because I'm sure we've talked about that a million times. It's good that they're trying to. Uh, critical infrastructure resilience to attack. They've been talking about that and doing little things and big things about that for the last few years, at least basically since CISA became an organization. Um, But the one I want to talk about is investigating ransomware attacks and using authorities and law enforcement to disrupt threat actor operations, because this calls back to the hive bust, which we referenced in January, Uh, in which case, uh, an FBI field office led a campaign or like an infiltration in which they went inside Hive, maybe as some sort of uh, double agent, not a double agent, but a single agent, like a spy, basically, uh, got over a thousand decryption keys, distributed them to former and current victims. Um, and then gathered information, allowing them to uh, seize servers, shut down the leak website. And we don't know if any arrests have happened or will happen, but this is an aggressive, devastating, proactive uh, anti-ransomware effort that, that almost seems like a little, this is what we mean. Even even a month or two before this even came out, so which is which is why I think that aspect's so interesting. I I do too, I do too. I I think I mean they listen. Let's call this what it is. They hacked the hackers. You know they mm-hmm. launched an a, a offensive operation, and yeah, I'm sure this involves some undercover type stuff on the dark web, but. I mean, essentially, they got into the infrastructure, into the network, and hacked their way to, to getting these keys. And they maintained a presence, just like a threat actor would. They maintained a consistent presence on Hive's network for months. And while they weren't looking, they were feeding decryption keys to victims that Hive affiliates had just hit. Um, and good for them. 
you know, this was this, I mean, we wrote about this, we've talked about it. It was a major, um, I guess, victory for lack of a better word against ransomware gangs. And, but yeah, I, I think reading this, when they talk about disruption campaigns, I think they're kind of sugarcoating it. I, I think they're talking about hacking, hacking back. Yeah. And that's been debated now for a long time. And I, I, I think, you know, hacking back, private companies hacking back is not a good idea. Law enforcement hacking back against what they, what they know to be ransomware actors, ransomware infrastructure, ransomware websites. I think that's fair game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, um, I'm in favor of disruption campaigns. Uh, you know, we, we've, we've spoken with a lot of folks that have had over the years who have long advocated for more intense actions against ransomware gangs. Um, you know, I, I, we spoke with Alan Liska from uh, recorded future not too long ago and uh, for a story that we did, uh, I should say our, our co-op, our editorial assistant, Alexis Zakarakos, and she wrote a story about uh, attacks, ransomware attacks against schools. And and Alan was joking with us in the interview about, you know, it's it's time to call in the drone strikes because these guys are 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 undeterred. They they are not scared. They are going to keep hitting schools. They're going to release private data for for students, and there could be bad consequences for that, especially if it, if it's really sensitive data. Now. Mm-hmm. He was half joking about drone strikes, but I mean, he, I, I, I do think that launching some type of offensive action against these groups, especially those that are hiding in other countries where they're just getting away with this stuff. Um, I mean, what else can you do? We're not going to send in the Delta force for crying out loud. We're not going to send in drone strikes, um, but you got to do something. So, and I think that like this part of the strategy is living up to a lot of the rhetoric that we had seen prior to this from various agencies and the Biden administration about wanting to fight back, to take the fight to ransomware actors and cyber criminal gangs in general. Um, So yeah, definitely notable, as you said. We'll see. They've got to be, I mean, for them to put this in the, the strategy, Alex, I mean, what, what's the over-under on how many, like, ops, disruption ops, takedowns are going to be announced within the next, like, three months, you know, by the end of Q2? I'd say oh. at least one, maybe two to three. Maybe maybe two. Yeah. Yeah. they got to be working on a, 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 at least a few, you would mm-hmm. assume. If they're, they're putting this out there, you know, and they've already, they've already achieved something pretty big with Hive. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be an interesting spring. Let's put it that way. So yeah, yeah. But there I think we hit the hit the highlights for the the new. Yep, I, I believe national so. cybersecurity strategy. Um, yeah, uh, Alex, thank you, thank you, number one for writing the story and and going through. How many pages was this document? The full thing, thirty nine. Oh, it's not that long. All right, it's not like it's War and Peace. Come on. No, I. But I think the things that are worth writing about are really worth writing about, which yeah. is which is fine. It's it's good to have a little uh, exciting news once in a while to get the blood flowing. That there you go. Well, thank you for writing the story and thank you for joining me in this discussion. Sure. 
And thank you to the readers and listeners of Tech Target Security and the Risk and Repeat podcast. I'm Rob Wright, and we will see you next time.